Last week, we began a series entitled The Kingdom of Heaven, and we're going to be looking for the next four weeks on this important topic, a topic of much curiosity, but a topic of great confusion as we look at heaven together. Um, Also, just want to point out in the bulletin, there is a number, a number that you can text during the week to ask any questions you might have concerning heaven. We are going to be creating a video page on the website of video archives answering some of the questions that we might not have the opportunity to dive into in our next four weeks together as we look at this sermon series. So any questions you might have, no question is off limits. Got a question this week, will there be unicorns in heaven? So there are no questions off limits. You can text that number to the uh, number in your bullet. Quick recap from last week, if you weren't with us. Last week, as we laid the foundation, and what we're going to be doing every week is building upon each week as we begin to understand what is heaven, where is it, what does it look like, what happens there, who gets to go and who doesn't get to go. And as we laid the foundation last week for this series of heaven, we looked at John chapter 14, where Jesus tells his disciples, in the midst of fear, in the midst of a very troubled time as they're awaiting the departure of Jesus, he says two important things about heaven that are absolutely foundational. One, he says heaven is a real place. It's not abstract. It's not some pie-in-the-sky concept that floating on clouds and disembodied spirits, but he says heaven is a real place, and I go to prepare that place for you. He gives real concrete language and understanding to heaven. And then he says this real place is my Father's house. And the reason heaven answers the longings of our hearts is because the Father's house is the place your heart and soul longs for. A Father who loves us unconditionally that brings us into a house that is always open and where we will always be welcomed. Our Father's house is the concept of heaven that Jesus gives to us, the place that your heart longs for, the whole place that your soul desires. So heaven is a real place, and Jesus says it is your Father's house. But what I want to do this morning is I want to dive a little deeper. I want to ask, answer questions such as, what actually happens when I die? Where do I go? What about my body? Will I look like myself? Will I look like the person I am here on earth? Will I recognize my loved ones and my friends? What exactly does my future hold? And to do that, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is probably one of the greatest, richest chapters on the resurrection in all of the New Testament. But not only in 1 Corinthians 15 do we t- does Paul talk about the resurrection of Christ, But he talks about our resurrection. He talks about the resurrection for all of those that are found in Jesus Christ. And so if you would look with me, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 26. And then we're going to skip down to verses 50 through 58. As we read about this glorious promise and this glorious future for all those 
that are found in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, a fickle group to say the least, wanting to remind them of a glorious future that awaits all those found in Jesus. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death. Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And on this day, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, the steadfast faithfulness of the Lord that we read about in the word of God, it remains forever. Amen. Let me ask you an honest question. How excited are you about your future? Really excited. When you think about your future, how excited are you? How you view your future impacts how you live today. How you view your future and whether you are excited about it or fearful about it, or just apathetic about your future shapes everything about how you live and how you view today. When you recite the Apostles' Creed, at the very end you declare, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe in the life everlasting. Amen. And I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that? It is an audacious statement to recite, I believe in the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. But I want to ask you this morning, do you believe it? 
Because that is a glorious yet audacious future for the life of the Christian. And if we do not believe it, it changes everything for how we live today. What Paul does here in 1 Corinthians 15 is he talks about this glorious future. He talks about this idea of one day in Christ being raised from the dead. The resurrection not only of Christ, but the resurrection one day for all those that believe in him. And what Paul does here in the two portions of 1 Corinthians 15 that we read, he explains this concept of heaven. And he says there is a, he describes a heaven now, and he describes a heaven that is to come. And so for the context of this sermon this morning, would you allow me to talk about heaven as the heaven now, just to put it in context, and the heaven that is to come, or the heaven now and the heaven later, that there is a heaven now that we go to, and then there is a heaven, an eternal heaven, that is to come for all those that believe in Christ. Here Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 describes these two heavens, the heaven now and the heaven later. Let's look at the first heaven, the heaven now. In verses 20 and 26, 20 through 26, Paul describes this heaven now, this heaven now that all those that are in Christ go to. In verses 20 through 26, Paul talks about this idea of the dead in Christ. But then he talks about Christ being the what? He talks in verse 20, for instance, of Christ being the first fruits. But then what Paul does in 21 through 26 is he talks as if, although Jesus has been raised from the dead, he talks about all those found in Christ as almost remaining behind. He talks about Christ being raised from the dead as the first fruits. But then he talks about everyone else in Christ of not being raised from the dead as well. So it begs the question, where do they go? Christ has been raised from the dead physically. We believe in a real physical bodily resurrection. Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's in heaven. But Paul makes it seem ambiguous. Where do we go? What happens to us when we die? Do we not get to ascend to heaven as well? But what Paul's talking about here is what happens in the heaven now, the immediate heaven or the intermediate heaven. You see, there is a heaven and then there is a final heaven. There is a heaven now and then there is a heaven that is to come in the end that we read about in the book of Revelation. But the heaven that Paul is describing here in verses 20 through 26 is where our souls go when we die. You see, what happens upon death for the Christian is our body remains here on earth, but our souls go instantly into this intermediate heaven. And it is in this heaven now that our souls long to be reunited with our physical bodies. So you could say heaven now now is the place where our souls long for resurrection. You know, you often hear people ask the question, what happens the, the first minute after I die? What is that first minute like? 
and there's a lot of controversy and confusion. But all throughout the scriptures, this is what we see, that upon death for the Christian, the soul is immediately, instantly raised to heaven. The body remains here on earth, but the soul is instantly in heaven. What does the scripture say? Jesus himself says to the thief on the cross, not tomorrow, not a week from now, what does he say? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Speaking of your soul will be with me today in paradise. There's no holding pattern. There's no waiting period. There's no purgatory. The soul is instantly with Jesus in heaven. Even looking back at the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, it says the body returns to the ground, but the spirit immediately returns to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Philippians 1 verse 23, it says to die is to be with Christ. It is all talking about this instantaneous, immediate language. So let you let not your heart be troubled. Upon death, your soul is instantly in the presence of the resurrected Jesus Christ in heaven. Although your body remains here, your soul goes to heaven now. Now, now it begs the question, what in the world is the soul? What is that? Well, soul and spirit in the Bible is synonymous. They are interchangeable. But your soul or your spirit that is raised immediately into heaven is simply the non-physical part of the human being. It is the non-physical part of you. Well, what's that? What's the non-physical part of me? It's your emotions, it's your desires, it's your dreams, it's your passions, it's your capacity to discern that which is right and which is wrong. It's your ability to discern and to make moral judgments. It's your emotions that cry out in fear and your emotions that cry out in happiness. It is your ability to choose to receive Jesus Christ once God has come down and made your soul alive. It is the spiritual, non-physical part of you, and that is what is caught up into heaven and in the presence of Jesus Christ. But Paul says something interesting here in verses 20 through 26 about what happens when the soul goes to heaven. He talks about this idea of sleeping. Did you catch that? He says, Jesus is the first fruit for all those that have fallen asleep. Well, this isn't the only time that Paul uses this idea of sleeping. Paul uses this idea of the dead sleeping all throughout 1 Corinthians. And it's led some to believe and to think that somehow there is some kind of soul sleep. That somehow the, the, the body and the soul are sleeping upon death. But what is Paul talking about here? In the New Testament, the idea of sleeping was synonymous with physical death. You see, for the Christians, and the reason Christianity was so revolutionary, was it was the first movement and the first worldview and religion that did not believe that death was the final answer and that death was the final state. And so although Christians believed that the body was really, literally, medically, biologically dead, 
Christians came up with this idea of, we're going to call it sleep because we realize that the physical death of a Christian is not forever, but it's only temporary. Do you remember in John chapter 11, when Jesus arrives at the home of Lazarus, what does he say? My friend Lazarus is dead. No, my friend Lazarus is asleep. Now we believe that Lazarus was really physically, biologically, medically dead, but Jesus refused to call it death because he believed that his brother Lazarus being transformed and redeemed that his death was not the final state and not the final answer. So what Paul is describing here in this idea of sleeping is recognizing, yes, they are physically, biologically, medically dead, but we're going to call it as if they are sleeping because it is not the final story. It is not the final chapter for those who are in Christ. You see, Christianity completely changed the way that death was viewed that they realized, as opposed to all of the other religions of the world, as opposed to the pagan religions that the Corinthians were dealing with at the time, where they believed that death was the final answer, that death was the final state, Christianity comes onto the scene and says, no, death is not the end for those that are in Christ. It is only temporary. And so they call it sleep. Death is not the final destination and the final chapter of the story. So just to clarify, what Paul is talking about here in 20 through 26 is that the physical body is dead. We're going to call it as if they are sleeping, but the soul is caught up to heaven in the presence of the real resurrected Jesus Christ. And when we say things like, grandma's now in heaven, this is the heaven that she's experiencing. A heaven there where she is in soul, only longing for the resurrection of her body. But this heaven is temporary and intermediate. It's very important for us to understand this. Heaven now, the longing for our resurrection. But in verses 50 through 58, Paul switches gears. And then he talks about not the heaven that we experience now, this temporary intermediate heaven where just the soul is in the presence of God. But then he talks about heaven later, the heaven that is to come. The heaven later, the heaven that will be the final destination for the Christian. You see, in the book of Revelation that we'll look at for the next few weeks, this is the final destination for all those that are in Christ, where God makes this promise that heaven and earth will be made one into a new heaven and a new earth. And it is in this heaven, this eternal heaven, this heaven later, this heaven that awaits us, where we will once and for all finally experience resurrection just as Christ has experienced real bodily resurrection. Now this is so important for us. One of the most predominant questions I got this week was, I'm scared to death of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. What does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6? It talks about the dead rising in Christ. And therefore, this has led many to believe that what happens in between my death and, and in between that moment where Christ will finally raise me from the dead. Well, hopefully my first point clarified that you're not body and soul dormant until Christ raises us from the dead. We are fully alive in our soul with Christ. 
Christ. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, this is what Paul is speaking of. He's speaking of this final state, this final heaven, this final chapter in history where our soul will finally, our real living soul will be finally resurrected and reunited with our physical bodies. And so in verses 50 through 58 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what Paul is describing here is the real redeemed physical resurrection of the body. You see, Paul says stuff like this in verse 51. I tell you a mystery. We shall not sleep. But when we are changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will finally be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. What Paul is describing here is that final state, that final act, and this, listen to me, is the brightest hope for those that are in Christ. You see, the hope of heaven is not only that we will be with Jesus forever, but the brightest hope for the Christian is that we will be with Jesus as real people, in real bodies, in a real physical heaven, in a real physical earth. R.A. Torrey, the famous evangelist, said this, We will not be disembodied spirits in the world to come, but redeemed spirits in redeemed bodies in a redeemed universe. You see, what Paul is describing here, this idea that the natural body will be raised from the dead, that the perishable body will put on an imperishable body, that the mortal body will put on an immortal body, means this, that you will be yourself just transformed. You see, Paul doesn't say that the, the, your former body is destroyed. He doesn't say that your mortal body is done away with. He says your mortal body will put on immortal, immortality. Your perishable body will put on imper- an imperishable body. This idea of putting on, it is the same body. Don't miss this here in 1 Corinthians 15 because the ramifications are great. What you do with your body here on earth has everything to do with what you will experience one day in the new heavens and the new earth. That's why Paul is so keen in other places in the New Testament about present your bodies as a what? As a living sacrifice. And I don't have enough time to dig into all the ramifications of that, but we will in the next few weeks. But this means that, yes, you will be yourself just redeemed. You will recognize yourself just transformed. You will recognize your loved ones and your friends and your family. Isn't this good news? That you will recognize your loved ones. That you will be a real physical person with real desires. Just redeemed desires. Without all of the fears and insecurities that grip us today. Real bodies living in a real presence of Jesus Christ, living in a real heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, perishable to imperishable, mortal to immortal, just redeemed. The good news is we will finally be who God created us to be. Isn't that good news? So this is heaven later. Verses 20 through 26 describe the heaven now soul only, longing for our resurrection. And verses 50 through 58 describe the heaven that is to come, heaven later, 
where we will finally, once and for all, experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, living in light of the resurrection. What does this mean for you today? I wouldn't blame you if you're sitting here this morning going, great, I've got a glorious future that awaits me. You've put some, you've, you've put some, um, you've put some flesh on this idea of heaven. I understand now where the soul goes when I die instantly. I understand what the soul is. I understand that I will have a real physical resurrection one day. But, but, but today, Rob, how does this help me today? How does this change the way I live today? This is what we would call the, the now what? What do I do with this? On, on, uh, on this day, on this Mother's Day 2019, what in the world, how does this change the way I live today? I want to give you two points of application that we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because Paul anticipated your question. You see, the Corinthians were a very fickle bunch constantly swayed by the cultural tide. The Corinthians were constantly swayed by other philosophies and religions and worldviews and reasoning. And so what you would expect is Paul to wax eloquent for all of these verses in chapter 15 about the resurrection and then simply tell them at the very end, now, Corinthian church, just sit back, relax, and look forward to your future. Would have been appropriate, correct? But he doesn't do that. This is what he says. He says in verse 57... He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how is that application for today? Jesus calls us, Paul calls us through Jesus to victorious living. He calls us to experience victory, not tomorrow, but today. You see, all up until this point, Paul is talking about the future, and he's talking about future language. This is what will happen one day to the soul. This is what will happen when you sleep. This is what will happen one day in the physical resurrection of the dead for all those who are in Christ. But then he switches in verse 57 to the present tense. When Paul says, Jesus gives you victory, he means Jesus gives you victory today. Now, why would I need victory today? Doesn't Jesus give us victory for tomorrow? Doesn't Jesus give me victory on my deathbed? Doesn't Jesus give me victory at death? What Paul is saying here is so profound, that in light of the resurrection and your glorious future, you can experience victory today. Victory for what? For everything that life throws your way. That there is no circumstance and no trouble and nothing that can come into the life of a Christian in which the Christian cannot claim victory. Not your victory. Who gives us the victory? Jesus gives us the victory. Isn't that amazing? Jesus wins and we get the benefits of the victory. But Paul says this, he gives you the victory today so that you can go through this life knowing your glorious future, knowing how the story ends, knowing the final score of the game, and you can go through today and tomorrow and the next day, regardless of what life throws your way, and say, God's already given me victory. The game's already over. I know the final score. Could you imagine if we actually woke up every day and said, I've already won. 
The game's already over. Now I can go and live my life. Jesus gives us victory, not tomorrow, not the next day, not on our deathbed. He gives us victory today. And then lastly, not only does Jesus give us victory, but he allows us to be unshakable, unshakable today. In verse 58, Paul ends not by saying, sit back, relax. He doesn't end the passage by saying, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Sit back and relax and enjoy this glorious promise. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. You see, the greatest temptation for the Corinthians and the greatest temptation for you is to leave here this morning and to go about your life and to go about tomorrow's life and everything that life throws your way and to be moved and to be swayed. That this is too good to be true. That God, your promises aren't true. And what Paul says to the Corinthians and what he says to you this morning, in light of the truth of the resurrection, be immovable, be steadfast. Allow your lives to be founded and grounded on a truth that allows you to be immovable in a culture in chaos, in a world in flux, in a life and maybe the circumstances you're dealing with this morning that have absolutely turned your life and your world upside down. Paul says to you this morning, be immovable, be steadfast. You see, the truth of the resurrection not only allows us to claim victory today, it allows us to live an unshakable life. Do you have this hope? I sure hope you do. 17 months ago, when I lost Lily, it threw our family into a very vulnerable, shakable turn your world upside down moment. And in those first days, you are doing things that you could never imagine doing. The harsh reality of dealing with death in those circumstances. But one of the hardest things I had to do as a dad was say goodbye for the last time. And they bring you into this room at her viewing and the lights are turned down and my wife Jennifer and I are standing at the casket staring death in the face. We are the last two there. We hold her hand. We place her Bible on her chest. And then like a flood of emotion, I am confronted with the hardest question I have ever had to answer. How in the world do I walk out of this room for the last time? How in the world am I going to actually leave? I was frozen. In my doubt and in my fear, I was frozen. And then overwhelmingly, the Spirit of God came over me like never before. And you can ask my wife, God as my witness, I began to preach. I began to recite scripture. 
That although you might die, one day you will rise from the dead. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. That one day as I stood the harsh reality of death in the face, the only thing that brought me comfort in that moment is that in Christ this body will one day rise from the dead and overwhelm me like never before. And that truth sustains me when no other things would sustain me. Listen to me. You can try and go find another means of hope in this world. You can try and find something else that might sustain you in your darkest hour. I dare you to go find that. But I'm telling you, you will only come back to this reality. That it is only the promise of resurrection for all those that believe in Jesus Christ that is your only hope that will sustain you both now and forever. Do you have this hope? This hope this great, glorious hope that not only 2,000 years ago Jesus was raised from the dead, but that there will be a great resurrection morning for all those that place their faith and their hope in Jesus. Do you? I sure hope so. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, God, it would only be fair if we would be lost forever. It would only be fair if we went through this life with no hope and no glorious future because we ran away from you. But you are so gracious and so good that you came down to defeat that which has stung humanity forever. The sting of the sin of our brokenness and of death. And it was Jesus Christ who came down and took off his immortality so that we would be clothed in immortality. It was Jesus who was treated as one who perishes so that we would be treated as one who is imperishable. It was Jesus who took the sting of death so that if we place our faith and hope in him, we might never feel it. And there's some right now, right here, this morning, that need to do business with you, God. And I pray that they would not wait. That I pray that they would not wait till tomorrow or the next day, that they would recognize today that there is something missing in their life. And that they would realize it's a relationship with Jesus. And they would simply say this, Jesus, I want you. I want a relationship with you. I want a new life. I want to live in light of your victory today and forever. I want the promise today that I can be unshakable because you have conquered my sin and my death and that you have won for me victory over the grave so that I can say, that whether I live or die, it is gain. And that I can have a glorious future. That I can say with all boldness 
that I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting and can say it with confidence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.